The Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, alleluia. Today's gospel lesson begins last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, in the evening, while the disciples huddled together behind locked doors. The women had already gone to the tomb, and Mary Magdalene returned, saying that she had seen the Lord, but yet, here, the disciples are huddled together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. What exactly were they afraid of? They were afraid because the Jews had succeeded in killing Jesus. Jesus, whom the disciples thought was the Messiah, the one they had hoped would redeem Israel. The Jews killed him. But when you're squashing a movement, you don't settle just for killing the leader. You also have to do something about his closest associates. Jesus himself had said, the servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus... They would also certainly persecute the disciples. And so the disciples were afraid. Their world was completely undone. The things they had taken most for granted were gone, proven false, in fact. Jesus was not with them anymore. They had devoted themselves to him, and it was over. What did they have left? Where should they go now? What would they do now? You certainly get a sense of this undoing when you lose a close loved one. Say it's someone you see or you call every day, a spouse or a child or a parent. They're a fixture in your life. You could never imagine life without them, and now they're gone. And you don't know which way is up or what comes next. But Jesus, Jesus was more than a parent or a child or a brother. He was supposed to be their savior. The disciples had begun to fear already when Jesus was arrested, and they all scattered like sheep. And perhaps the fact that they had scattered was another cause for fear. You remember Peter's experience. Jesus told him that before the rooster crowed twice, he would deny him three times. After the third time, denying Jesus even with curses, the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter wept bitterly. That memory was vivid. The regret was still fresh. How could they live with themselves, considering what they had done, considering how they had abandoned Jesus entirely in his hour of deepest need? We saw how heavy that burden can be in Judas, who thought that he couldn't live with himself because of what he'd done. His regret gave way to despair, and he murdered himself. There was no blood money in the pockets of any of the other disciples, but abandonment is betrayal by another name. Perhaps this is why Thomas wasn't with the other disciples that night. Maybe he couldn't imagine having to look anyone in the eye 
knowing how cowardly and faithlessly they'd all behaved, and knowing that now it appeared that they'd all been duped. It all seemed to be a big hoax. Jesus was dead. It's like they all woke up that morning and realized that they had unwittingly become members of a cult. How foolish they seemed to have been. Yes, Mary Magdalene had told the disciples, I have seen the Lord, but what good was her report? The report of one witness. Besides, suppose Jesus had risen from the dead, just as he said. Suppose it was true. How would he regard the disciples now? He once had called them friends, but that was before all of this had happened. And this was more than just a personal injury. This was more than just letting down a friend. Suppose it was all true, that he was the very Son of God, and they had run away while he was led to the cross. Then it was not just a friend that they had betrayed, but God himself, whom they denied. That is cause for great fear. Perhaps that's why Thomas did not believe. Perhaps he did not want it to be true. How could God possibly forgive him? How could the Son of God possibly speak peace to one such as him? That is cause for great fear. There is a lot of fear in our world. Too much fear, doubtlessly, of things that really shouldn't frighten us. At the same time, there is also too little fear of many things that should frighten us. Humans are notoriously bad at judging danger. Just think about how readily we hop into the car. Probably one of the most dangerous things we can do. Meanwhile, if you watch the movie Jaws, it can be enough to scare you from the beach for a good long while. But by far, by far, what we should fear most is God. Do not fear those who can hurt the body, Jesus says, but rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear of God, fear of his displeasure, fear of his wrath over sin, fear of his judgment and holiness, that is rare in this world. For most people, it is just a joke. It's a joke for most to think that God punishes sin, to think that there's something, that there's someone other than me who decides right and wrong and to whom I must give an account. Look around the world and see whether anyone really fears God. Look into your own life and consider where your fear of God is lacking. The disciples were afraid that they would fall into the hands of the Jews. What they really ought to have feared, and perhaps they did, is that they would fall into the hands of God. It was the evening of that day as the disciples huddled in fear, and Jesus came and stood among them. Notice how he doesn't waste a moment. He doesn't waste a breath. He opened his mouth, and the first thing he said was, Peace be with you. To those who are in fear, God does not waste a moment in speaking peace. But at that moment, the disciples must have realized how trivial was their fear of the Jews. For the peace that Jesus spoke was from God himself, from their heavenly Father. His peace was not merely a cure for, those, for the fear of those who can hurt the body. It was a cure for those who fear God, who regret their sins, who fear death and judgment. Peace be with you. Can you imagine how much those words meant to the disciples? 
Let's try to picture what it was like. Imagine having the bank knock on your door to say that your mortgage has been forgiven just as your house is about to foreclose. Imagine having the doctor call you up and say that your cancer has disappeared just as you are about to give up on treatment. Imagine hearing the breaking news that the war is over, that a treaty has been signed, that the troops are coming home. None of those things even comes close. Imagine instead that you are dead, rotting in the grave, bound for hell. And there, God, your Heavenly Father, reaches into death and pulls you from the grave in love. In fact, you don't have to imagine it. You who feel the weight of your guilt, you who fear God, you who regret your sins, you who fear death and judgment, you need not imagine how much those words meant to the disciples because those words mean the same thing for you. Peace be with you, says the one whom you fear. Peace be with you, says the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, but will not because he has given you peace. Peace be with you, says the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Peace be with you. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just a greeting like a hello or a how you doing. But it is the very thing that it says. By speaking those words, enfleshed in the body that hung on the cross and was laid in the grave, Jesus delivers peace that he speaks. You who fear God have peace with God by the blood of Jesus. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. It was not peace with the Jews that Jesus brought. It was not a temporal peace. He didn't offer the disciples safety, a peace with earthly enemies, a peace from war or trouble or persecution. They would indeed suffer the same persecution that Jesus himself suffered. Those things persist until the last day, and we are not promised relief from them in this life. But it is no matter, because relief from those things, from temporal things, is nothing in comparison with peace with God. God, the maker of heaven and earth, God the judge, who on the last day will call for a reckoning of all your deeds, peace with him is the only peace that matters, and you have it. See the wounds in Christ's hand and side, and see there the price he was willing to pay for peace with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. For the news of the resurrection is not meant just for the disciples huddled in that room. He would have done it just for them. He would have done all of it, going to the cross and dying and being laid in the grave. He would have done it just for them. He would have done it just for you. But his blood is sufficient for the sins of the whole world. And it is for the whole world that he died. And so the apostles who bear this message of peace with God are sent into the world to share this message with all who suffer under the weight of sin and death. They are sent to gather God's people by the preaching of forgiveness on account of Christ. Notice how critical this authority is that Jesus gives to the apostles and so to the church. He gives them the authority to forgive sins and to withhold forgiveness. For it is by the forgiveness of sins that we have peace with God. It's our sin that has made us enemies of God. It is our sin that puts us under God's wrath and judgment. And our sins are too great for us to bear, too costly for us to make atonement. The only way that we can be saved from our sins is by forgiveness, by God himself erasing the debt that we owe him. 
by God himself spilling the blood required to forge peace. Forgiveness is what delivers peace with God. But notice that there are two edges to the authority given to the apostles. There are two keys given to the church. One that opens heaven and one that closes it. As earnestly and zealously and fervently as forgiveness is to be preached to those who fear God's wrath, who lament their sins, forgiveness is not to be preached to those who are not afraid, who fear neither sin nor judgment. Peace is not to be proclaimed to those who think they already have peace by their own virtue. If you think that your sins do not warrant eternal death, if you think that God does not care how you live your life, if you think that you're just fine, that he has no cause to cast you into hell, that you do not daily sin much and deserve nothing but punishment, if you do not fear God, then this peace, this forgiveness, is not yours. Christ himself said it is not the well who need a physician, but the sick. If that's you, search your heart and see that what proceeds from your heart is selfishness and wickedness. If you do not fear God, search your thoughts and see how they are bent on your own gain, your own happiness, your own comfort and pleasure. And even if you cannot see that in yourself, listen to God's word, for Jesus himself tells you what's in your heart. If you cannot see it, it's because you are blind. But Jesus has come to open the eyes of the blind. Believe what he says. For from within, Jesus says, from the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, Jesus says, and they defile a person. And that means that in the day of reckoning, and even now, you cannot stand in God's presence. Fear God and repent, for there is mercy for those who fear him. There is this word of peace, of forgiveness for those who need it. Do not disbelieve, but believe. For what, does God, what God does for those who fear him is nothing short of giving them new life, of turning them again into infants who long for pure spiritual milk. Did you notice that strange thing that Jesus did when he gave the apostles the Holy Spirit? He breathed on them. It's reminiscent of our Old Testament lesson in which God asks Ezekiel to prophesy to the dead bones. Can these bones live? God had asked. Surely God himself is the only one who knows that. Ezekiel prophesied and the bones came together and there was flesh upon them, but they still needed breath. And so Ezekiel prophesied to the breath. Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And the breath came into them, and they stood upright, and the dead bones were alive again. They needed new life. They needed breath because they had lost the breath and life that God gave to mankind from the beginning. Remember how it goes in Genesis 2. God formed man from the dust of the ground, and unlike with any of the other creatures, God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Man lived, and the life he lived was the life from God's own breath. God's own spirit. But when man sinned and came under God's wrath, and peace was lost, and the earth was filled with nothing but dry bones, the breath of life was gone. What would it take to resurrect those dead bones? 
It would take a new act of creation. It would take God once again breathing life into them. Can these bones live? Can you and I be rescued from our sin, from God's wrath, from our warfare with him, from our enmity, from the wickedness of our hearts? What will it take? It takes God's own spirit, delivered by the resurrected Jesus, so that sins can be forgiven in his name and that you and I can live a new life. Those who do not fear God do not realize that it is no life at all being among the dead in the valley of dry bones. But your eyes have seen the wages of sin, seen how Christ himself joined the ranks of the dead in order to redeem you. Your ears have heard God's words of judgment, and it is on you that God's spirit has been breathed, the spirit of adoption as children of God, so that even as you fear God, you do not need to be afraid because you have peace. You have the peace of Christ himself, the peace of sons of God, the peace that sounds out from the cross, it is finished, and echoes in the empty tomb, he is not here, he is risen. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.